Welcome to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah from Baker Tilly KDN. This podcast is about helping business owners and entrepreneurs understand and overcome their tax planning challenges. Join us for this journey as Frankie Loretto and Sarah Netley draw from years of expertise and guest experts to help make complex tax planning concepts make sense. Hello and welcome to From the Source with your hosts, Frankie and Sarah. I'm Wendy McConnell. Now, this is where you get the right information right from the source. Isn't that right, ladies? Absolutely. That's right. right. You got that. All right. So how have you been? Good. Good. I just got back from a long vacation, so I'm feeling extra refreshed and ready to go. That's nice. Okay. So what are we going to be doing today? So today we're taking a little bit of a shift away from our owner manager series, and we're going to give a little bit of estate planning. So talking about what happens when you die, what to do to prepare for your passing from a tax perspective. We're not here to talk to you about, you know, how to prepare for death. That's a whole other no. type of podcast that we definitely no, no cannot. funeral arrangements here. Sure. It's no, I was more tax. thinking the men, like, how do you mentally prepare oh, for death? Yeah, no, that, I'll take any neither tips that. on that. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I guess, you know, you always hear the joke and the comment about, you know, there's two certainties in life, you know, death and taxes and even though we all know those are the two certainties, it seems that there's a lot of people out there that don't really want to prepare for those events that are absolutely going to happen. And and taxes happen on an ongoing basis. But I guess we're really going to talk a bit about today about what happens from a tax perspective when you die. Exactly. And you're right, Frankie. Like We see, I think, such an extreme right, of people who on one spectrum have really uh, taken a deep dive into their estate plan, you know, are constantly reviewing their wills, updating their plan, and even want to go as far as, you know, managing things from the grave, right? Controlling how beneficiaries will use funds and when can they use funds. And then on the complete opposite side of that spectrum, you know, we have people who will say, well, I'm gone, not my problem. So, you know, my family can deal with it when I die. So I'm hoping today that we can kind of appeal to that latter group of people who, you know, are of that mindset, well, like, why should I care? It's not my problem. I'm dead. Because from a tax point of view, if you do give it some thought, you know, if you give it a little bit of thought, at least, um, there's probably some simple things that you can be thinking of and implementing now that'll just make things easier for your executors when you pass away. And I think a lot of the clients we deal with, the executors are the kids, right? So typically as a parent, you may want to make things easier for your children rather than more difficult. So hopefully from today's kind of high level overview of taxes and death, people will get a, a sense of what can be done and maybe why they should think about it. Yeah, I can appreciate it. It is a lot of work and there's definitely a lot of emotions involved when you're starting to think about your estate plan. But the benefit of doing that work up front is that for the rest of your life, you can have that peace of mind knowing that when the inevitable happens, there's going to be no additional unpleasant surprises for your loved ones. And and there is definitely a lot of things to think about and consider when somebody passes away from all different worlds, but we're really just going to talk a bit today about 
what happens from a tax perspective when you die. All the other stuff we'll touch on maybe in a few other episodes. I say all of it. We won't cover all of it, but we'll cover some of it. Some of it. Get some experts in. So what does happen when someone dies, right? So when, when you pass away from a tax point of view, immediately before your death, you're deemed to dispose of all of your assets at their fair market value. So what that really means is CRA is going to treat you as having sold everything you own on your date of death, you know, at whatever value it is on that day. And so what happens is from a tax point of view, all of those, you know, unrealized gains, unrealized losses, other sources of income are now included on your final personal tax return that needs to be filed with the government. Yeah. And and when you're looking at that last tax return, you know, you're going to have most likely a bunch of capital gains, which will arise on unrealized gains on things like, you know, if you have an investment portfolio, if you have a real estate portfolio. So if you have personal real estate, like a cottage, or if you have business real estate, like a rental property, whether that's commercial or, or residential. And it's usually pretty easy to kind of, to get a sense of what that value is, right? When you have a real estate inv- or sorry, an investment portfolio, because you just get, you know, from either your investment advisor, or your online, you know, investment account printout, your executor prints out the fair market value report. You, if for real estate, you might have to go get a realtor to give you an opinion of value. But those are the things that the executor will have to do to substantiate the fair market value. And those are relatively easy, but a deceased person might also own private company shares, or, you know, they might be uh, a farmer who has, you know, qualified farm property. And so again, you need to engage a business valuator to give you the value of those private company shares, or you need an appraisal to uh, appraiser to give you the value of the property. But when you have those two particular types of assets, one way to minimize the tax on the final tax return is for the executors to look at whether, you know, the shares of that private company qualify for the capital gains exemption, uh, or whether the farm property is, you know, qualified farm property and also then qualifies for the capital gains exemption. And I'll give us a little plug for our last episode where we really dove into some detail on the capital gains exemption as it relates to uh, qualified small business corporation shares. So if anyone's wondering, okay, well, how do I make sure that uh, I get my state gets that exemption? That's a a good podcast to uh, refer back to. Yeah. So those are the majority of the assets that are going to give rise to a big capital gain on that last tax return. But there's also going to be other sources of income on that return, which you know we'll refer to as ordinary income. So ordinary income just quickly is taxed at a hundred percent. So a hundred percent of the the income is going to be subject to tax where we've probably mentioned before that capital gains are only 50% subject to tax at this point in time. Um, that could change, who knows, but as of 2023, 50% of capital gains are subject to tax. But um, certain things that you know would be included in your income at a hundred percent would be if you had any balance in your RRSP or your RIF accounts. And and the reason why these accounts are not going to be taxed at a capital gains rate is if you remember when you contribute to your RSP, you get a nice deduction for the amount that you contribute to that account. So you get a hundred percent deduction. When the time comes to pay the piper, the CRA is not going to let you be taxed on 50% of that. They gave you a whole deduction. They want to tax you on that whole amount. So that's something exactly. also to that really will hike up the bill that people don't think about because you think RSP, you know, tax, people think tax free, but remember it's tax deferred. And when you exactly. pass away, we're, 
that's you triggering re- the tax. Yeah, you've reached the end of the deferral. Exactly. And what typically will happen then is because you have all of these sources of income being included in that final personal tax return, usually very quickly, the top tax bracket, you know, where the income is exceeding that top tax bracket in Ontario right now, top tax rate is 53 and a half percent. So usually we see, you know, a pretty sizable tax liability owing when that final tax return uh, needs to be filed and, and remitted to the CRA. So now the executor could be stuck in a position with how do I now fund this big tax liability? Because if you remember, I said, you're treated as having sold your assets. Up until now, you haven't sold anything, right? So the executors now have this kind of conundrum of, I have this big tax liability. How do I then fund that tax return? Yeah. And on top of this deemed disposition we talk about, so this you've deemed to be sold all of your assets, you also have your ordinary income for the year up until your date of death. So if you're to die in, um, if you're in say like March, you've got January, February, March worth of, if you have pension income, if you have employment income, if you receive, you know, CPP or OAS or investment income, all of that income that normally would be on your tax return is also there in addition to that deemed disposition. So as Sarah said, your, your income is going to be in a higher bracket than it typically would have been in a in another year. But there are a few ways that we can reduce that tax liability even without that much planning prior to the date. So Sarah, you talked about the capital gains exemption where you've got qualifying uh, farm property or qualifying shares, but there's also the principal residence exemption. So if the deceased owned a home that they live in, so it's not, you know, a rental property, a business property, they could potentially claim this exemption, which would shelter 100% of the capital gain on that one property, making it essentially uh, tax-free. There's also, if you have losses, we talk about capital gains, you could have losses, which you know we usually don't want, but for tax purposes, it'll bring down your tax bill. Exactly. So it's, if never, you have, it's never a bad thing to have a loss for tax yeah, purposes. Yeah, for tax purposes. It's Not a okay. good investment strategy necessarily, but <laughs> yeah. tax, it's okay. But capital losses in the year of death is are not streamed to capital gains. And when I say streamed, I mean that in any other year when you have a capital loss, it can only be used to uh, reduce capital gains on a return or potentially you can carry them back and carry them forward. But in the year that you pass away, those losses can be used to offset other sources of income. So even if you don't have other capital gains, you could use it to reduce, you know, pension income, et cetera. So I guess trying to move a little bit more to the planning side here, we're talking about things that you can reduce your tax bill without that much planning. There's also a bunch of rollovers. Sarah, you want to talk about rollovers? Yeah. So the most common one is the spousal rollover. And, you know, that does require, I'll say a little bit of planning or forethought because you need to make sure that you have a will that has left your assets to your spouse. Um, if you don't have a will, you know there could be under you know intestacy law assets transferring to your spouse, but it's not a guarantee that your estate will pass entirely to your spouse. And especially if you have a common law spouse, that's certainly not a guarantee. So that's why you do need to give some thought into having a will, how your assets are left. So if you if you leave your assets to your spouse, 
the assets roll. So they transfer on a tax deferred basis to that spouse and you're deferring, you know, the tax liability on those assets. So um, it's a really easy kind of planning point for people to think about, uh, especially when they're drafting their wills. Um, the other, there's other less kind of common uh, rollovers. So one being, you know, transferring like an RSP or a RIF account into a registered disability savings plan for a beneficiary who is disabled. But again, there's there's limits to what can be transferred and you you can't just transfer any assets. It has to come out of your own, you know, RIF or RSP account. So, so the other, you know, other opportunities to roll over um, assets would be like a registered uh, retirement savings plan can go into a registered disability savings plan if you have a, dis- a beneficiary who's disabled. Um, but there are limits to, you know, how much can be transferred. So it's not as lucrative in terms of, you know, comparing that to the spousal rollover. One really important, uh, I guess, rollover provision when we're looking at uh, estate planning for farmers is, you know, rolling qualified farm property. So I mentioned that there's the capital gains exemption on farm property, but there's also the opportunity to transfer that asset to your your kids or your grandkids. So transferring it to the next generation. And that's the only asset category really under the Income Tax Act that allows you to transfer assets tax deferred to your kids. If you tried to leave, you know, your house to your kids or a cottage to your kids, you're gonna your estate's gonna have to pay the tax on that. But farm property is an exception. So, you know, making sure that, you know, you've given some thought to whether you actually qualify for that rollover uh, is important. And I think just very generally speaking, if you own farm property that has just been rented to a third party farmer and you've never actively farmed it yourself, this rollover won't apply to you. Um, so those are kind of the, I will say, different types of rollovers and it gives you the ability to defer tax. And the anytime you can defer tax, the better off you're going to be. Really, what you want to be able to do is match your tax liability with cash flow. So when you f- when you finally sell that asset, you're going to get paid for that asset. So it's not as bad if you have the tax liability then because you have your cash. In the case of your death, you have the tax, but you don't necessarily have the cash flow. So to the extent you can roll and defer the tax, the better. Yeah. the In the tax world, there are a lot of situations where you have these deemed dispositions so these sales that are deemed to occur and like sarah said the biggest issue you can have in those types of situations is you know how do i pay the tax when i'm deemed to sell something i don't get you know the deemed proceeds is not money in my pocket it's just money i'm now going to owe to the cra that i then have to figure out how am i going to fund So there are a bunch of ways that we obviously just talked about how to get that tax bill down. There's also um, when you're filing that final tax return, there is this second kind of special optional tax return that we call a rights or things return. And so you might ask yourself, like, okay, like, why do I want to file another return? Like, I don't have enough on my plate dealing with this estate. But the one good thing about this return is Sarah had mentioned before the deceased is likely going to be at a top tax rate. We got a lot of income coming in on that one return. The rights or things return is almost like having a second, you know, a second person attached to you. You get to reset those graduated rates. So any income that you can push or report on this rights or things return is now going to be taxed at 
the low graduated rates and you work your way up to the top rate as you do a normal return. So the catch with the rights or things return is you can't put any amount of income you want on the return. It's not that you can take your terminal return, or your final return, say, you know, I'm just going to split my income down the middle and, and push all of this other income on this other return. Because why wouldn't I if I can take advantage of lower rates? That would be that'd be too easy, right, Frankie? <laughs> it really would be. Yeah. It'd be pretty nice, though. It'd be nice, but it'd be too easy. <laughs> but um, you're restricted to the type of income that can go on this return. Right, sir? Yeah. So really without kind of getting into every kind of category, rights or things are something that are owing to you at the time of your death, but haven't been paid to you yet. So if you think about, you know, your investment portfolio and maybe Google has made a press announcement and says, you know what, as of today, we declare a dividend uh, to our shareholders of 15 cents a share, and that's going to be paid in a week from now. Well, if I die tomorrow, my estate is owed, you know, that dividend. I haven't received the cash from it, but I'm legally entitled to it. So it's those types of things that I could say, my executors could say, well, that's a writer thing that's owed to the estate. We're going to move it from the final return onto the rights or things return. And instead of paying, you know, top tax rate on that, you know, I have no other sources of income on my rights or things return. So I'm going to pay either no tax or very little tax. So there's, you know, kind of different types of income that can be shifted. It's a bit restrictive, but it is something that people should be aware of, executors should be aware of so that they're minimizing tax. Yeah. Another common item that can go on this rights or things return is if you have CPP or old age security, and if you die within the first 14 days of the month, and the reason that's so is because CPP and OAS is paid on the 15th. So if you were to pass away prior to the 15th, there is going to be a, a portion of that income that is owed to you, but hasn't been paid to you. And when you're looking at your final return, if you're at the top rate of tax, which in Ontario is 53.5%, if I can move over even a few hundred dollars to this other return, where I'm probably going to pay little to no tax if I have no other income on that return, I've just saved 53.5% of that CPP or OAS payment, which, you know, I would take a few extra hundred dollars, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. So you talk dividends and the dividends are you know, declared but not paid is applicable to not only to just public companies, but if you have a private company share. So to our owner managers out there. Um, yeah. Like Sarah said, there's other things that can go on the rights or things return, but some of it's really restrictive. Like employment income is one that, you know, we think you can put on easily, but there's a lot of, there's very limited situations where you can put that on your rights or things return. But anyway, that's where you ask your tax professional. Exactly. And I think that's a really good spot to take a break. So grab a coffee, grab a drink, and we'll be back in a second. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I know you're listening to the podcast from the source with Frankie and Sarah, and I'm so happy you're here. If you have any questions, please head over to curtis.bakertilly.ca or to show notes to find out how to reach us. We'd love to hear from you. All right. We've had a break. We're refreshed. Um, we've talked now about, you know, 
what that final tax liability, you know, how that arises on someone's death. So I think what's important for executors to understand is, you know, when that tax liability is due. And so it is due just as, you know, a normal tax bill would be due for any individual uh, by April 30th of the year following your death. But there is an exception. If someone dies in November or December, you actually get six months from the date of death to file and pay that final tax liability. And the reason I bring this up is is because I think I mentioned it earlier, the executors may be in a position of trying to figure out how the heck they're going to pay this big tax liability after someone passes away. And so this is maybe, this is the hook hopefully of why people should be thinking about kind of their estate plan and what their tax bill is, you know, prior to them passing so that your estate isn't left in a position where there's no cash to pay that final tax. What we're really talking about here is liquidity issues of the estate. And where you can have liquidity issues is where the majority of your wealth is tied up in assets that are not overly liquid. And when we say overly liquid, we just mean assets that we can't sell quickly and turn to cash in a timely enough basis to pay that bill. One main example that comes to mind is if there's tons of real estate in your estate. So residential real estate may be less of an issue than, say, commercial real estate or vacant land. Even if it is residential real estate and it's relatively easy to to sell, it might not be a great time in the market. So you might be forced to sell that property when values are low and you're really leaving money on the table because you're forced to pay that tax bill when otherwise you would wait until prices have bounced back. Exactly. So if you're, I think that the key question now is if your estate has a liquidity issue and, and there isn't an easy way to fund that tax bill, like who is on the hook if that tax bill doesn't get paid? And the answer is it the executors, right? If, if CRA doesn't get their money, uh, when it's owed to them, they will come after the executors. And so again, if you've named your children as executors, I think the last thing you want to do is, you know, have CRA hounding them. So again, having an understanding of what falls into your estate um, and what that tax liability is becomes a really important, you know, exercise because maybe there's something, you know, there's an asset, maybe there's a piece of property that you've held and your kids just don't want it. And they're sitting there saying, well, once you die, I'm going to have to sell it anyways. Let's take time. Let's get it to market and, and start listing it when the markets are high or you're going to get maximum dollar value for it. So again, just not difficult things to think about, but things that will certainly add some ease to your estate administration. Yeah, and it's not even just holding a bunch of assets there that are illiquid. There could be assets in the estate that there is sentimental value, right? That your beneficiaries, your kids are not going to want to sell. So even if, you know, okay, yeah, I could sell this stuff off, no problem. But if there's assets there that your kids want to retain, but they're forced to sell to pay the tax bill, that's likely not meeting your objectives that you want for when you pass away. So can we say like insert here cottage property, like family cottage, that would probably be one of the top, you know, sentimental assets that someone has, especially when it's been in the family for so many years, right? Like the kids have grown up going to the cottage. Maybe there's grandkids now that go to the cottage. And yeah, even, even though that asset is, you know, an, something that can be easily sold, it just might not be feasible to sell it because 
the next generation wants to continue to own it. So now you have a tax liability associated with an asset that just is never going to be sold. Right. And I think now, so we're telling people, you know, plan ahead. If, you know, you have, you know, liquidity issues, you expect your estate's going to have liquidity issues. You know, what are we telling them that they should do? I think, you know, at first it's like you said, Sarah, if there's stuff here that can be sold and at a high time, that's great. But when we're in a situation where, well, I don't want to sell anything, even now, that might be a good time to look into other options such as life insurance. Exactly. So life insurance, again, could be a, an easy solution. It might be costly, but an easy solution to make sure that you know there is an influx of cash into your estate when you pass away. Um, the other, you know, if we have looked at selling off assets, and so maybe you have a you know, commercial real estate property that will be, you know, a little bit more challenging to sell. Maybe mom and dad decide, okay, we're going to start to list that property. We're going to sell that property now, and then we're going to retain, you know, the cash and the after-tax cash we get from that sale and put it, let's call it a reserve fund. And let's put it in a really conservative portfolio um, that isn't going to fluctuate in value too much over time. And we know that it will be there to fund taxes, you know, when we pass away. So life insurance or a reserve fund. And I guess maybe I should note the other option is CRA. You can request, you know, can, you can file a form with CRA to effectively have them finance your final tax bill. But based on today's interest rates, um, and the prescribed rate with CRA, that would be 9% that they would be charging you for that. So really not a recommended strategy at all. But you know, in the worst case scenario, there is that option. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, the whole purpose of going through this exercise is really just to make it easier on your family. We, we keep saying the executor and and that sounds like some third party person, but as Sarah mentioned, it's most likely your kids. It's most likely a close friend. Maybe you hire a professional executor, but we're just trying to you know think about protecting that person. They're going to have enough on their plate dealing with the administrative side of things, let alone having them panic about having the CRA on them because they can't pay the tax bill. So hopefully this gives people uh, an understanding of why they should think about their estate and their estate plan during their lifetime, just you know, really from that income tax lens, liquidity, making sure there's enough cash in your estate to fund that tax, uh, making sure your kids are in a position that you know CRA is not hounding their door. Um, so hopefully, we've kind of appealed to that you know group of people who really have the mindset of, well, it's not my problem. I don't care. I'm not going to do anything about it. And so there's lots of other things that we can kind of get into, which we don't have time today. You know, probate, for example being one. But I think that's a great kind of segue to our next episode. And so we'll leave it at that for today. A cliffhanger. A cliffhanger. <laughs> and stay tuned for part two and probate tax. All right, ladies. So how can listeners get in touch with you? Well, you can reach us by giving us a call at the office at 905-579-5659. Or you can check out our website at curtis.bakertilly.ca. All right. Thank you, ladies. Great. And thank you thank for you. joining us today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. 
visit our website at curtis.bakertilly.ca or give us a call at 905-579-5659. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Frankie Loretto, Sarah Netley, or Baker Tilly Katie Hunt. Baker Tilly Katie NLLP is a member of the Baker Tilly Canada Cooperative, which is a member of the global network of Baker Tilly International Limited. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional accounting advice. Always seek the advice of your chartered professional accountant or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your tax planning.